0: Hello, everybody. We've said it before and we'll say it again. Fangoria Magazine is pretty rad, you guys. It has all the insight, gore, and insightful gore that you know and love Fangoria for. But now it's all bundled together in a very fancy, highly collectible magazine published quarterly. Yes, you can now pick these up at select bookstores, but do know that these stunning issues tend to sell out. So why not sign up for a year subscription and make sure you don't miss out on a single issue? To do so, head over to Fangoria.com and sign up for an annual subscription And if you do, make sure to enter in the promo code KINGCAST at checkout for 25% off your subscription. And with all of that said, on, on
1: with the show.
2: Hi. My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break.
0: Well
1: sometimes
0: that is better. Hello and welcome back to the Kingcast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name is Eric Vespi.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm Scott
0: Wampler. Well, I think I think we have Jay Leno in here. Is Jay Leno <laughs> guest hosting? And I'm Scott Wampler. <laughs> and we are your hosts. We are very excited for the upcoming James Gunn flick, The Suicide Squad, so we're dedicating the weeks leading up to the film's release by having some of the King-loving cast members on the show. Uh, Today, we are welcoming Steve Agee, who had multiple duties on the film, playing the on-set King Shark, and also Amanda Waller's right-hand man, John Economos. Did I pronounce that right, Steve?
2: Uh, Yeah, it sounds right, Eric. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, Jay Leno's back again. (laughs) The people uh, listening are going to be, what the fuck is going on? We,
0: we we may or may not have had a Jay Leno impersonation-a-thon going on before we started recording. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah.
1: For reasons you needn't be concerned with. with <laughs> no. no.
0: John Economos is uh, in Suicide Squad, and he will uh, Steve will also be reprising that role in the Suicide Squad spin off show Peacemaker, which he is filming currently in beautiful Vancouver, Canada, That's British right. Columbia.
2: That's right, baby. Uh,
0: You'll also know Steve from his long history of making you laugh your ass off on shows like the Sarah Silverman program, Drunk History, Adventure Time, Superstore, and a billion other appearances on film and TV. He also happens to be in my Destiny clan and has helped me (laughs) kill a raid boss or two in our time in the trenches (laughs) together. That's right. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Steve Agee to the KingCast stage.
2: Thanks for having me back, guys. Thank you. Delighted to have you back. Yeah, I'm I'm excited.
1: And we're pretty excited about this Suicide Squad business. It's not Stephen King related in any way, but no. I mean, if we're gonna cross promo with a movie, could there ever be a more fun cast than this one? This is what I ask you, Steve.
2: <laughs> no, there really there there isn't. It's it, it was. I was very nervous going into it because I was like, with with this big of an ensemble, it's there's gonna be a dickhead in there, and there wasn't, <laughs> which makes me wonder if maybe I'm a dickhead, because like, <laughs> it feels like it's always and don't gotta see the be asshole. you. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Uh, no, it was it was amazing. And by the way, there you could say that there's a king shark, mm. and we're doing a king cast. Oh, ah, see, so I today was
0: the king shark cast. <laughs> yes, the king shark cast. Um, uh,
1: what what exactly do your duties entail as as king shark? You're in a
2: mocap suit. Yeah, it's not really motion capture because. King Shark's body isn't really super humanoid, so it was more reference. I didn't have to wear all the little you know ping pong balls all over. I just wore kind of like a gray unitard and then I had to wear this gigantic foam chest piece that weighed about forty pounds and uh, a bicycle helmet with this with this like these wooden uh, you know stems that came out kind of in the in the shape of a shark's head. Hmm. that's largely what I did. And I just kind of walked around with the cast. <laughs> and, and uh, I assume you said like the dialogue there, so they would have something to, yeah. to,
0: to work off with. So, yeah, yeah. What, cause they didn't, they didn't uh, uh, get Sylvester Stallone for the voice until after you guys had filmed. Right.
2: Way, way, after. way, way, way after we had filmed. Yeah.
0: So it's just like, you know what they did with the, uh, what James did with rocket raccoon. Right. Right on.
2: Yeah, yeah, Rocket.
0: totally. Except bigger, and uh, Rocket steals body parts. He does not eat them.
2: Yeah, and King Shark has a massive appetite for humans.
0: <laughs> this looks
1: like a uh, typically huge, you know, superhero movie, a super villain movie. I guess I should say. But I'm curious, yeah. having now worked on, you've worked in the the Marvel factory with mm-hmm. James Gunn, and mm-hmm. over on the DC side with James Gunn. Uh, yeah. What's the difference on those sets, or is there much since James is
2: running the show? Well, with uh, DC, I mean, we were shooting a hard R movie, so there's a lot more cursing. There really wasn't any cursing on Guardians Two. Uh, I mean, it's Disney, so it's mm. a little more light, light-hearted, family-friendly. This is like, this is like a heavy, <laughs> like, violent, cursing-filled movie. It's awesome, yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah. It's that's and the that main, changes the you know, that changes the tenor of the set. You would say, yeah. I feel like with this, everyone is kind of like you know, you're you're not trying to keep yourself reined in. You don't really have to worry about letting a f word fly or something like that. But uh, yeah, everyone was just like so awesome. It was like it was heartbreaking having to leave this show because it, I mean, first of all, we shot for almost six months, so it was like you're just God with the damn. same same people every day for that amount of time Then, then you rap and go in literally go into isolation for a year and a, a year and a half it's crazy
0: and I just want to also point out that, uh, that you, you get to play, uh, as I mentioned in the intro, Amanda Waller's like right-hand dude, uh, yeah. and you have that great line that's in the, the trailer where you're talking like a goddamn kaiju or something, right? Yeah. It's like, totally. So, so James didn't just, uh, you know, throw you in there to, to paint you over, <laughs> you know, you get, you get some FaceTime in that movie as well.
2: Yeah. And John Economist is a, is an actual character from the, the DC world and right. John ostrander um who created like the suicide squad he came to set one day he he has a cameo in the in the movie and he came to set one day and James is like oh John this is uh this is Steve he's playing John economist and he's like oh wow you kind of look like because you know John economist in the comic is like a big dude with a beard and <laughs> and he was like you know he's based on an actual friend of mine and I don't even think James knew that we were like what and he's like yeah he was like He's like a business manager or a business partner, and um, yeah, his name was actually John Economist, and so we just put him in the comic. So he's ba- <laughs> he's based on an actual person. I think I think the John Economist in uh, in the comic books. There's a lot of reference to him being divorced a bunch of times, <laughs> and uh, and um, in the comic books, he's the warden of Belrev Prison.
1: I want. I was uh, watching the n- new trailer mm-hmm. that just came out, like a, a couple days ago, I think. And uh, it's the scene where Idris Elba is like going at Viola Davis, and he's coming at her with like the the pen or like a little knife or something. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And I'm just sitting there watching him and thinking, I would be terrified to have Idris Elba screaming in my face like this and just as the thought was going through my mind like he kind of steps back away from her yeah. and you're standing right <laughs> yeah, by yeah. and i was like holy shit i gotta ask steve like when you're seeing idris elba in person bucking up like that and just yeah. you know really laying it on like is it intimidating to be around that kind of thing
2: not at that point that was like one of the last things we shot in austin so That was about five months into shooting, so everybody was, like, really comfortable. You know, I'd been working with Idris the whole time, and, uh, but yeah, he's, he, like, really gets into character, and it, it, while we're shooting, it's, like, really intense, because, like, the whole movie, he's not that intense, like. Right. He's just doing a job throughout the movie, but that scene, you know, he's, like, you think he's gonna kill her, and he, like, lunges at her (laughs) with a pen, And yeah, we did, we shot that for like half a day. And there were like takes when he's like, as he's walking away, he turns and he like winds up like he's going to punch me as he's walking by or (laughs) we've been fucking around so much that he's like walking away and he he then throws the pen at me. There were a few takes where he like, as he's walking out, he throws it at my head and he really embodies the intensity. That's for sure.
1: Eric, you got any further Suicide Squad questions?
0: No, I don't have any further Suicide Squad questions, but I do uh, want to talk about something that has come up sometimes in our Barry's Video Gaming uh, mm-hmm. that I asked him to say for the show because, yes, this is a Stephen King show, and I found yeah. out that, that you have... One, well, we'll get to your Stephen King origin story here in a, in a second, but I found out you know fairly recently that you have a connection to one of the best stephen king adaptations ever made stand by me you want to fill us in on
2: on that well my biological father who i didn't meet until way later into adulthood was the electrician on stand by me (laughs) that is weird yeah, he lives in Eugene, Oregon, and that's where they shot the movie. And so I, I think it, it must have been like a local hire situation. I think a right. lot of the, the crew was probably from from Oregon. How did you come to find that
1: out? Was it like on
2: TV one day? And he's just
1: like, yeah, I used to run cable in there.
2: No, he. I mean, we, we've we been in contact. And he he told me, he's like, yeah, you know, like once I had found him, he's like, oh, yeah, I went to school here. I studied theater and. Then I went to Ashland, Oregon, for a while, and then I ended up in Eugene, Oregon, and uh, I worked on uh, "Stand by Me." And I'm like, "Wait a minute, back up!" And <laughs> I, I think if you look on IMDb, it's his only—it's uh, his only credit on IMDb—is "Stand by Me." I'd still be very proud of it. Yeah, well, he for years ran uh, this giant theater in Eugene called the Holt Center, which is like a something like a two thousand seat theater.
0: Did he ever say like how he got on board? Like obviously, you know, he doesn't, he isn't an electrician for, for movies and television. Right. (laughs) Uh, If that's his only credit. So was he just like kind of the local guy who knew about electricity and they're saying, sure, we need this guy (laughs) done.
2: they just put (laughs) an ad in the local Eugene paper for people who had extension cords.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. That was it.
2: (laughs) No, I'm not sure. I have no idea. I, I actually should ask him. That's uh That's a good question, actually.
0: Does he have any stories about Corey Feldman being an asshole?
2: (laughs) No. No Let's get him on the show. Let's
1: get him on the show, Eric. We're going to have to ask. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I could probably make that happen. (laughs) (laughs) And now the (laughs) electricity. stand-by-me commentary, but it's all about
2: the electricity in the movie. (laughs) This was a really remote location, so getting electricity out here was very difficult. More we extension had cords than you could possibly imagine. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah Let me totally. tell you
0: <laughs> about all the cable we had to have.
1: <laughs> well, Eric uh, mentioned this a moment ago, and it's a uh, question we ask all of our guests. And that question is, what's your
2: name? <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> how did you get in here? How did you um, get in a, how did you get uh, here? Uh, we have a question that we ask all of our guests, and that is, "What is your What is your Stephen King origin story?" Which is to say, when did When did you first become aware of him? Movie, I th-
2: book. I think my My first recollection of anything to do with Stephen King was, I remember I have a very specific memory, like it happened yesterday. But I was what ten or eleven. I was upstairs, and I my parents were watching TV in their bedroom, and I. I walked in right as a commercial for The Shining came on. And the trailer terrified me so much that I had nightmares about it for, like, weeks. And I also remember seeing I, – I think I saw a, tra- a a trailer for it in the theater, like the teaser trailer with the elevators and the blood.
0: Right. Yeah, I but was
1: going to are... ask, do you remember what the teaser was on TV? Because I can't imagine they put the blood TV...
2: – TV. I I remember the little kid running through the the ice maze, mm-hmm. and obviously the "Here's Johnny" moment. So like a yeah. montage of obscene yeah, movie. yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Safe for television stuff, but yeah, still terrifying for an eleven year old. Why is he trying to? Why is he tearing that door apart with an axe to get to his wife, mom?
0: <laughs> they need counseling, they, honey. Yeah. <laughs>
2: And then when I was in high school, I read, um, Salem's lot. And that also scared the shit out of me. Are you generally, uh, scared of, uh, vampire
1: stuff or, you know, was it I, something I have, specific about that book that I
2: have you out? specific, I have specific vampire stuff. Um, I remember when I was a kid, I was probably like six years old seeing a, there was like some black and white. I don't remember which vampire or Dracula movie it was, but I, I saw this movie on TV, and it scared the shit out of me so badly that I just knew that Dracula bit you on your neck to drain you of your blood, and so I completely changed the way that I slept. That <laughs> I still sleep that way to this day. Like I would not leave like, my a, neck. Chain, like a chain like a chainmail scarf on. <laughs> it. I wouldn't leave my neck exposed when I sleep. I would pull the covers up over my head so that just my face would stick out and then I would put one leg out of the covers just in case like all right you can bite me on the leg just not the (laughs) neck so I would leave a leg out as like just bite me here instead don't bite me in the neck and I fucking (laughs) still sleep like that (laughs) just by habit now
1: that's gonna be a great story until you get bitten by a vampire on the ankle <laughs> in your sleep, and then you're gonna feel real foolish. You should have kept yeah. that leg in the bed. Yep.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He yep. just wants that vein. It doesn't matter where, where it is. It doesn't matter. I didn't
2: understand that as a kid, but <laughs> it's all the same blood, dude.
1: So did you continue well, the- reading King and like watching the movies or like what Definitely. level of fan are you?
2: I mean, clearly not the level where I would actually make a podcast about it. (laughs) (laughs) Like a couple Um, of dorks? Yeah. I would see all the movies for sure. Um, Yeah, I've I've read a lot of his books too. The Stand and Salem's Lot. Um, Was Cujo a book? Yeah, Cujo. Yeah, Yeah, they all were. Um, Yeah, I read a lot of his stuff. But um, I just really like the movies. I'm a visual person.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Now, you've come here to talk to us today about a movie that is not particularly frightening no um, in the usual sense that you might associate with king although right. uh being imprisoned is is certainly a frightening thing yeah. uh, and that's the shawshank redemption uh tell us a little bit about why you picked this title
2: i would say of all the stephen king related movies you know um this is probably the one i've seen the most next would probably be the shining but this is I've, I've definitely seen this way more than the shining. I, I, I was obsessed with it. Like in college, uh, I, I saw it so many, I I can't even count the number of times I've seen this movie. I, I, we were going to record this last week. And so I watched it last week and then, uh, I got my second vaccine. So we had to change it. And so I watched it again last night and it's just as, just as awesome, you know, (laughs) the 40th time you've watched this movie as it is the first. No, oh, yeah,
1: it's about as perfect a movie as much as a quote unquote perfect movie can can be mm. you know
2: yeah
0: yeah, i agree there's there's something about this movie that just lets you fall into it in a way that I, I don't know how, like, I don't know if I could break it down. Like, if you look at it on a technical level, is it the way Derbont and uh, Deacons are like moving the camera? You know, is it the way, you know, they're, the lead actors are playing their performance? Is it the way it looks? Is I, the way the lighting is? I have no idea what it is, but there's something about this story with these people being told in the way that they tell it, that is just something It's more than a warm blanket. It's just something that invites you in. I needed to rewatch this or I didn't need to, you know, like you guys have seen it a million times. I kind of know it backwards and forwards, but I wanted (laughs) to rewatch it before doing this. And I also had my, uh, my nephews who are 13 and 10 now uh, over and uh, they had never seen it. So I was just like, well, shit, let's, you know, we'll see, you know, how they take dramas. We usually, I usually show them, you know, either kid stuff or horror or you know, the kid more kid friendly genres. We very rarely watch drama. And um so I'll we'll see how how they handle it. And they were engrossed. So I we played both Carrie and uh uh Shawshank, and that was the first time <laughs> with either. And I think that they could like take or leave Carrie. I think it's a little too dated for them. But how uh how old are they? Uh ten and thirteen. <laughs> so <laughs>
2: ten watching Carrie. Um, <laughs>
0: Yeah, they really loved the the very end of Carrie, like when all the shit hits the fan. Yeah, Um, totally. (laughs) But like, I would have thought that of the two, that Shawshank would have been the one that would have been in danger of boring them. But it didn't like that was the one the second I put it on, they were just glued to the TV. And so there is something about that movie that's that just draws you in no matter, you know, if you're. An old man like uh like me or if you're uh you know a young kid for whatever reason it's it's just one it's of those a, movies
2: such a great story and by the way just even not even counting the actors it is just so many heavy hitters involved like you said roger deakins is like gotta be my favorite cinematographer you know that guy is like everything he's done is incredible and like right. was it thomas newman who did the uh yep the score, score. which is the score is incredibly perfect for this. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Everyone involved in this is, is just great. All the, the secondary actors, the character actors are all incredible, right? I find it almost hard to talk about Shawshank
1: analytically because everything in it is just so perfectly handled that you, you kind of end up repeating yourself. I feel like, right? you know what I mean? It's like, Oh, the acting phenomenal. Oh, it's, it's, the cinematography, gorgeous.
2: The... I can't believe that it got a thirteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes. What? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it, it was all it... a reactionary uh, downvoting after it got IMDb's best uh, rated movie of all time. Yeah, I was gonna but it say was,
2: it was a. It wasn't a box office hit, though.
0: No,
1: I thought maybe Morgan Freeman said something shitty about Zack Snyder and. Yeah, they got re- <laughs> rev- review bombed over there or some shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> um yeah,
2: totally.
1: Let's talk about the performances. I know we've already said they're outstanding, but le- yeah. let's see if we can bring a little more nuance to it than that. Who do you think among this cast, all of whom are knocking it right the fuck mm-hmm. out of the park? Let's say, who do you think is better, Robbins or or Freeman? And then who of the secondary characters do you think is mm. is Delivering the, I, I I have to say it's a
2: tie between. I couldn't pick one between Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman. I can I'll pick Freeman on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I I mean I think
1: I I I think he's just got a more dynamic role. um yeah. A lot of a lot of what's going on with Andy and Tim Robbins's character is so internal that for a lot of it he's just very almost tranquil. You know, mm-hmm. right. that's that's part yeah. of the character. So I think it's. It's less animated than than uh, Morgan Freeman's performance. Also, you know, this is it.
2: one. Of, this is one of very few movies that I I like the use of narration. I'm usually right. just like, come on with the narration, but it's completely needed and works like it's great. I've
1: right. heard this com- this complaint about narration in movies before, and I'm curious why why you feel that way. I don't really have a problem with it, but I know people like yourself that are. It's like, Oh, this has fucking narration. Well, this? there's some,
2: there's a lot of movies where it's oddly underused. Like, you know, the whole trope of by now you're wondering how I got in this place. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and then yeah. they <laughs> show the whole movie. And that's the only time you hear fucking narration is like <laughs> the beginning where it's like, this guy's hanging out of a window. Well, I, right now you're asking how I got here. And, and then that's it. That's all for, for the narration. Mm. Um, I think it works well with a lot of, you know, like Shane Black stuff, like kiss, kiss, bang, bang. It's right. Yeah, it's great.
0: I think that the argument is usually that it's the lazy way to give exposition. Right? right. So a lot of people just look at it as like the movie couldn't figure out how to tell me this. So now it's just literally telling me this. And so it just it's kind of a viewed as a lazy step. Um, I don't know if general audiences will think of it in, in those terms, but sure. uh um but that's why a lot of the cinephiles do and, and to a degree i you know i can agree with that but you know i i also love narration well and weirdly enough here's another thing another great stephen king movie narrated fucking stand by me richard dreyfus mm-hmm. yeah, oh, doing, right. doing the look, yeah, back, yeah. The look yeah. back so it's
1: uh how do you think your dad's gonna feel when he hears this steve i don't know man. <laughs> it's gonna be really upset <laughs>
0: Good
2: question.
0: (laughs) And he's like, well, you you wouldn't be able to hear him if the microphone didn't have electricity now, did it? Yeah, (laughs) Um, exactly. Uh yeah, no, I'm kind of in agreement that uh both Morgan Freeman and Tim Robbins just work so well together, you can almost view them as one, you know, single performance. You know, Mm -hmm. it's they just have such a great chemistry, which is funny because apparently Morgan Freeman was uh like just fed up with the whole movie from day one. (laughs) Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Apparently apparently there was some, some conflict there. I don't know if he had any conflict with Robbins or if it was just with Darabont, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, Morgan Freeman's literally the voice of the movie. Everything rests on reds interpretation of what's going on. And I might, I'm going to use this as a transition uh, since we're also talking about the secondary cast, Mm -hmm. the, the character actors, I think the one that has constantly impressed me—I mean, everybody's great. You can't not, you know, give love to Clancy Brown or Bob Gunton or William Sadler. Um, you know, all all these people are great. But the the guy that has single handedly impressed me the most the last few times I've watched this is uh, James yep. Whitmore, who plays uh, Brooks. Brooks. Yeah, he's oh, the you God. know he's the old guy, the librarian guy. So and uh, the reason breaking. why uh, the reason yeah. why I wanted to bring this up. Is because the movie takes a pause and leaves the prison whenever he gets released, and it's the only time outside of the trial at the beginning and then the very end of the movie where we're outside those walls and it is they do something so interesting that is on paper it shouldn't work, and that is they shift narration. They go from Morgan Freeman, who's been narrating from you know the second that Andy you know arrived in Shawshank. And then that stops, and the narration shifts to James Whitmore. It sh- sh- shifts to Brooks, and it is his letter that he is writing, um, yeah. uh, there that he has, had written to uh, um, to Red from the outside, describing what's going on. But it is it is such a subtle thing that again it shouldn't work. It's kind of a cheat because now you're shifting narration halfway through and then shifting back. It's it should be jarring, but it isn't. And that whole scene with Brooks not being able to get back into, you know, modern life, he's been gone for over 50 years, I think is what they said. Mm-hmm. He's been in prison. Like where he, last time he was outside, there was like, he saw one car once and now they're just everywhere. Right. You know, he makes Ugh. that point and, God, uh, yeah, yeah. and he just can't mm. acclimatize and he's this sweet old guy, you know, and you just feel for him. And it's also setting the stage for what could happen to red later. It is, it is got so many different things going on in, the, in that moment. And uh, James Whitmore uh, just, just, nails it he just knocks it out of the park and like again my you know little my nephew's about to turn 14 he's getting into those fucking you know grumpy you know he's not really a grumpy kid but he's you know he's he's getting in that era where he can be the cynical you know not connecting to stuff and and uh you know after brooks hangs himself in the you know in, in that sequence he he was tearing up you know like yeah, it's yeah. causing you know even the youth of today to you know to to connect with this old guy and his story so even I, my vote for mvp, MVP for the gen z
1: millennials we'll yeah <laughs>
0: yeah so uh, my vote for for uh, for mvp of the of the other cast is james whitmore
1: i think i got to go clancy brown if not whitmore his every scene he's in, he's just killing it, you know, mm-hmm. and even manages to wrestle the movie away from Tim Robbins in that in that scene on the roof when they're tarring the roof. I was aware of Clancy Brown, like that actor before, like I saw, so I was thinking, in theaters when it came out, I had seen him in movies before, like Pet Cemetery 2 and shit. Yeah. But um, this is like the role I saw him in where I learned the name Clancy Brown. Like, who was that guy? That guy fucking killed it. So, yeah, I'm going, I'm going Clancy on that one. Uh, Steve, how about you? I'm,
2: I'm going to go Bob Gunton, man. That guy, <laughs> that guy yeah, the embodies, <laughs> yeah, the warden, absolute pure evil. And just under the guise of just, like, pure Christianity and mm-hmm. mm, you all get a Bible and blah, blah, blah. here's my favorite verse. And then here he is just like, oh, Andy. Actually, didn't kill his wife. Um, Shoot that guy! And this guy has proof. <laughs> so let's fucking kill this guy. Yeah, like that's like one of the Ten Commandments is don't murder. Like this guy <laughs> is so fucking evil, and he just embodies it perfectly. Like he, yeah, I think he's my favorite secondary character. Ugh, he's, he's chilling. I mean, they're they're all the casting in this is incredible.
0: Well, William and he's Sadler got that-
2: is. Yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. Oh, no, Sadler's always it, but, great,
0: but uh, but going to back to Gunton, his his uh, opening speech as the the warden here is like an all timer where he's got everybody lined up in front of him and he has that whole thing where it's like,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, you know, you, you belong to God, but your ass belongs to me or something, you know, where he, he has this yeah. great. Hard ass opening line, uh, w- with with this group of people, and you just know he that these guys are in in for no good. Uh, yeah,
2: no, he's he's awesome. I would love to know what the um, how they arrived at William Sadler being a stutterer, mm. because it's a really subtle stutter. Yeah, and like, is that in the script or was Frank Darabont like, what could you try stuttering or like, was it will Sadler, Sadler. Cause, yeah, because it's such a amazing a, character trait and it's so subtle that it's like it you don't really notice it like it's just really natural
0: right
1: i would put if we ever get him on the show i'll ask him and so we can solve this mystery for please once a do. but i'll put five bucks on that was something he came up with while developing the character and then like showed it to Darabont, and he was like yeah that's great like that's well, just and, such a little william sadler detail to yeah. to throw in there
0: right I don't remember if there was a mention of any character stuttering in the novella. Um, so I was, I was trying to th- like rack my brain to think if he pulled it from there or something, but like, I, I don't, I don't know if if it was mentioned, it was an offhand mention. Um, right. But yeah, he plays, he plays Haywood. And uh, just another reason why this movie fucking rules is any other movie. Haywood would be one of the heavies, right? Cause the, the beginning of the movie, is him essentially talking one of the inmates into reacting so he could win a bet like yeah. reacting that night. Yeah. So it's, they all bet on, on who's going to break first of the new fish. And he bets on, on the, uh, the fat guy.
2: And
0: he nudges and he nudges him into it. Like he sees that, that he might not win. So he's like gently, you know, talking him, you know, on the ledge instead of off the ledge. And that results in this guy dying. And the way that Sadler plays it when he finds out that the guy just wasn't hospitalized or hurt is it, once again, it's very understated and you just see the the conflict on his face and like the guilt that he feels and, and all this stuff. It It is, it is such a, once again, a nuanced performance. There's so much, Great stuff happening in this movie. Like everything has every scene, every reaction, every line has multiple meanings and affects different people in different ways. It's kind of like the ideal of what they try to teach you in screenwriting classes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, is that everything yeah, yeah. has to you know has to have multiple meanings. If your scene that is only means one thing, then your your scenes fucked up, and you need to to go back and, and fix it. So. Yeah. Before
1: we move on from this uh, <clears throat> casting area of the conversation, right. Steve, are you aware of some of the people that almost played uh, Red and uh, Andy? I am not. Okay. I Let's think, we, all, I think uh, we had Demi Adigewebe on the show. He came on and did Shawshank Redemption, and I'm pretty sure we talked about this then, but these are the kind of little what-ifs that will blow your fucking mind if you've not heard them before. So listeners, bear with me because I'd like to, I'd like to hear Steve's reaction to some of these. The first thing to know is that at one point, Rob Reiner was going to direct this um, and he wanted Tom Cruise as Andy and Harrison Ford as Red.
2: Nope.
1: All. <laughs> Already does not work. <laughs> OK, so Darabont comes onto the project after Reiner's left. And uh, I'm just going to read this directly. Darabont looked initially at some of his favorite actors such as Gene Hackman and Robert Duval for the role of Andy Dufresne, but they were unavailable. Clint hmm. Eastwood and Paul Newman were also considered. Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, and Kevin Costner were offered and passed on the role. Hanks dude is starring in Forrest Gump, Costner because he had the lead in Waterworld. Johnny Depp, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny Depp, Nicolas Cage, and Charlie Sheen were also con- considered for the role at various stages. And at one point, Cruz even attended a table reading for the script, but wow. bowed out of it. Cause he didn't want to, he felt like Darabont was a little inexperienced and wasn't too trusting, which is just quite frankly, a really dumb choice on Tom Cruise's part. One of the greatest movies of all time. Yep. But um, can you imagine literally any of those people in the no. role? Maybe?
2: No, I I would just once love it. If there was a year where, you hear about all these alternate casting possibilities and directing. If they just took a movie and let everybody make that movie for the year, like, (laughs) like, all right, go make your movie, Steven Spielberg. You go make Shawshank. And, and, um, you know, or, uh, you know, go make, just letting everyone go make this movie and then just seeing all the different, possibilities i i would kind of love that <laughs> so for a whole year yeah we would only be getting this the only, same story you, yep you only get shawshank redemption in 1994
0: <laughs> you get you get the mcu version of shawshank redemption
2: yep the russo's you get, version
0: You get the Zack snyder cut of <laughs> shawshank redemption
2: yeah <laughs> lena dunham's yeah,
0: shawshank
1: redemption
2: <laughs> noah bomback <laughs> wes anderson oh uh, that would be great the prison would be so precious oh god
0: <laughs> it would be very cute i'm sure be it would cute. be very
1: clean is what it would be yeah totally <laughs> you know, just meticulous that prison yep
0: i can tell you that he gene hackman playing i assume he would have been red right there's no way yeah. he, gene hackman and even the early no, no, 90s no. would have been he wanted him for andy that doesn't. Wow. Are you sure that doesn't make any sense? Barry looked would, initially at some of his favorite actors, such as Gene. Hackman if you're reading and that off IMDb, I I, I I I call suspect on that because okay. an, well. then Andy would have been fucking 55 years old. That's that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, the ages don't make sense.
1: But neither does Clint Eastwood or Paul Newman. Right. right. It must. Yeah. It so must that had mean, to be red. Yeah. Those had to be red. red. What the yeah. fuck are you doing, Wikipedia? Making a liar no, of me yeah. on my own show. <laughs> I, yeah, can, uh, I can i <laughs> can sort of i can i can imagine hanks in the andy role though i really can.
0: yes for sure. for sure yeah yeah because yeah, this would have been like philadelphia era hanks right so yeah
1: there abouts are about well forrest gump era um, yeah quite specifically i guess but
2: yeah yeah, yeah. i wish he had done I mean, this he,
1: instead of forrest gump good lord i know oh you're I, you're a gump fan steve you're I, a gump yeah
0: fan? I, I like forrest gump
2: I don't hate it. I don't love it. It's just a movie that I saw that I can quote. <laughs> <laughs> and we do it all the time. Yep. I was running. I was it happens
0: running. a lot in our destiny playing. Yep. Um, I was I, uh, running. I don't,
1: I don't withhold a grudge for uh, um, the fuck were we were just talking about. Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. Yeah. I don't hold a grudge for Forrest Gump, you just um, just
0: forget it instantly. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yep. But, uh, I did, you know, I know the vitriol for it is very strong. And with that sort of in mind, um, I've always kind of been, you know, just ambivalent to the whole thing. It's like, it's just, it's like a dad movie. I don't know what to tell you. You know, it's it's a movie you go see with your parents on Thanksgiving, whatever. But then uh, not long ago, like sometime in the last six months, uh, i watch i re-watched it and uh boy does that not hold up very well um, oh wow yeah. I, I got really annoyed with it watching it and i'm like maybe people are right maybe this is a piece of shit so i don't know i haven't i haven't spent more time thinking about it and in fact i just forgot the movie's name as i was talking about it but <laughs> you know so i don't have a i don't have any findings here i just uh right. feel that's notable
0: Right. Well, Tom Tom Hanks would uh, very quickly rectify his mistake of uh, not being in a Frank Darabont Stephen King movie, and uh, would follow up with The Green Mile with with Darabont as yeah. well. And he, yeah, and he's perfect there. So if I had to trade, that's true. Like, well, listen, I just wouldn't trade Tim Robbins out of this movie because it is, as we mentioned earlier on, it's like Morgan. This is kind of Morgan Freeman's movie. He is the voice of the movie, even though the mm-hmm. movie's about Andy. Mm -hmm. It is, but it's really, you can say it's about Andy, but it's really about Andy via the prism of red, right? So this is how red sees this guy. Um, This all from his point of view. So it really is red's movie (laughs) about red's relationship with Andy, but it's not as flashy as, as the Morgan Freeman part, but he does so much, as you said earlier, Scott, that he internalizes so much. So much just out of basic necessity for the character who mm-hmm. doesn't really open up. He, I think he, they even make a point of he had been there for a full month before he said more than one word to Red, and that was asking for the the Rock Hammer, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, but you watch him in this movie, the just he has these little moments where. They're very quiet, but they're always also very big And the moment I'm thinking of when I'm referencing this is whenever he locks himself in the warden's office and plays the the record for everybody. He's not, he's not like doing a fuck you or, you know, whatever. It's just a small moment of defiance. He's knowing he's not only jeopardizing uh, his escape plan that he, that he has, but he's knowing that he's putting himself in actual real danger of, of pissing off the people who can not only beat him to death if they wanted to and right. get away with it, you know, they could just lock him in that, that, uh, you know, you know, that little closet or whatever solitary, the, is. Yeah. The, the solitary for however long, but he does it because the whole point of that character is to tell is to give everybody hope. Red, red is the character who is like, hope is dangerous here. And he's the character going, if you don't have hope, then what's the point of doing anything, you know, ever. And, and that's what he does in that moment when he gives, he, uh, he plays the, the record and puts it over the PA system and all the inmates can hear opera or, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, it's just a little bit of life, you know, outside of the walls, you know, that they're reminded about. And uh, <coughs> the way he plays it, he just kind of leans back in that chair as they're banging on the door and, you know, just smiles. And that's, that's it. It is once again, a very small understated performance, that isn't as flashy so it doesn't get the attention but uh Tim Robbins just absolutely fucking kills it. Imagine how different that scene would play if it was Tom Cruise. You know oh, what I'm saying? Like yeah, it, it would smarmy, just be smarmy. Be, yeah, exactly
1: that. Dude. And I
0: love Tom Cruise and and same, I think same. that there you know that that works for 90% of every other kind of character out there is that that little uh, you know, twist that he throws on everybody he plays, but it absolutely would not have worked for Andy. It, it, I think we mentioned this on the last episode. So parent, apologize if we're repeating it, but there just Andy needs to be beaten. You need to believe that Andy, you need to believe what red believes and that Andy is, is uh hung himself in the cell at the, at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, y- and you believe that with, with uh, Tim Robbins and the way that he plays the character uh he does feel beaten when he comes out of the cell and you know comes out of the two months in solitary and you know his his hopes of getting out are dashed and you know his hopes of being you know vindicated you know in in the the murder of his wife and like you know all this stuff it's like all that you believe you buy when he has that quiet conversation you know with red where he's talking about Ziwantaneo and and all that it it sounds like a beaten man saying it you know and and i you, i don't know if right. tom cruise would have been able to deliver that definitely not then tom cruise now maybe maybe he could pull yeah. it off but definitely not well, not that era
1: one thing we didn't talk about the last time that we uh we covered Shawshank i just didn't even know to talk about it but i i remember when we dropped that episode there were a, a number of people responded with like pictures of themselves or pictures from inside uh, Ohio State Reformatory
0: where mm. they
1: filmed this. And I guess you can like go there and it's, you know, it's basically a, a tourist destination. Like this is where they filmed Shawshank Redemption. And uh, at first I was like, man, that's pretty fucking wild. Like that'd be cool to, to see with your own eyeballs. Yeah. Then I started thinking about it and I'm like, I, I, I'm kind of conflicted about this. You know, that was an actual working reformatory at some point. So probably a lot of horrible shit went on in that place. And now it's got <laughs> right. like totally. it's got like a gift shop with, you know, little samplers that say, <laughs> I hope and shit can, on
2: it. Like you can <laughs> buy Swedish meatballs at the, uh,
1: <laughs> yeah. at the fucking snack shop. Do you find anything weird about places where actual horror has occurred? And, you know, another example might be Denver State Mental Hospital, which was heavily featured in session nine since torn down was never really open to the public for tours. People did a lot of urban exploring in there, but I think I would find it offensive to myself to like be in a place like that where I knew like such terrible things that occurred just for my own entertainment. Like, am I crazy or am I overthinking it? What do y'all think?
2: We've been shooting at this, uh, this place up in Vancouver called, uh, Riverview hospital, which was, uh, a mental asylum back in the early 1900s. And yeah. apparently a lot of horrible stuff happened there. I, I don't know. I When I go in there, it, I never even think about that. I'm, it's just like an abandoned hospital. And I'm like, wow, this is, well, this used to be a working place. My bigger problem is like you said, that place is now like a tourist attraction. I hate going to somewhere like, oh my God, we're going to see the prison. And then you show up and there's like, a thousand people taking photos and posing and i'm just like ugh.
0: yeah
1: right i think it's different if you're shooting there for some reason in my mind that's not as offensive although i guess it could be you know if you looked at it the right way but but it's the touristy aspect of it that really just kind of doesn't sit well with me yeah Right. Well, um, I,
0: I grew up in the the Bay Area so we had Alcatraz and we'd take school trips to Alcatraz. <laughs> uh, you know, and uh and you know, and it was it's that thing you go to Alcatraz and you go into the cell and you fucking take your picture and I mean it it, it didn't bug me then. It was just a thing like oh this is an old place, like a historical right. place, right? And like I didn't really think of the kid. implication. Right, But, you know, in the Bay Area, I also went to the Winchester Mystery House, you know, which was yes, built by a fucking yeah. gra- crazy woman. It's literally a monument to her insanity and, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, the whole reason it still exists isn't any sort of historical, you know, record or what. It's just because you know, it's, oh, go into this weird house where stairs go, you know, lead up to a door that opens to a wall and, you know, uh, yeah, I know. I, I never really thought about it. it. Your instinct is right, but, you know, I, I guess maybe I'm I guess there's enough time that's passed, I think, with a lot of this stuff where it's not like going to the Shawshank prison is the same as going to like Auschwitz. You know what I mean? Right. Where like, I mean, I guess there isn't a gulf between those two. I I will say that, you know, it's not like you're just going to um, this is the house that George Washington was born in or whatever. You know, there is something. Ingrained in, in a prison, especially prison of that era, it wasn't run on the up and up. You can guarantee that. So, right.
1: it's well, the same I feeling know. I get I'm when compl- I hear. I'm conflicted
0: about it. It's the same feeling I
1: get when I hear like there's like plantation tours and shit, and people do yeah, their weddings yeah, yeah, at yeah. plantations, and you're like, what the fuck are you doing?
2: That's you're like dressing
1: up. up as a Southern belle for the day. Do you have any idea what sort of pain went on here? Like, yeah, I think it's that same
2: feeling, and, and I, a, a prison I, qualifies. I have a question about this prison, and I, th- I think this question probably falls under continuity. Mm. So when he escapes, he crawls, he breaks into the sewer line mm-hmm. and crawls through 500 yards of shit that just empty out into a little stream. <laughs> <laughs> I've never understood like the the mechanics of that sewer line. Like he literally crawls through it and it just opens up into like a trench. Is there well, like just shit going out into that I mean, trench all the
1: time? I'm going to go out on a limb and say that like, you know, environmental protection acts that might be in place today to prevent, uh, <laughs> you know, a big tube of shit getting blasted into the, the nearby river. uh were probably not in place when Shawshank was set. Right.
2: But I feel like that would you would smell that from the like. Well, yeah
1: but that's probably like, that's like farmland and shit. You know, there was a, there was a scene that was in the script that they didn't film where once Andy gets out of that tube, he like gets onto a a train that's going by. And I think (laughs) I read a description of like, it's just him like running through a field at night to reach the train. I've not seen it. You know, obviously I haven't seen it. So I got to imagine it's out in the middle of nowhere. You know, it wouldn't be like they right. wouldn't be piping literal shit into like the town square or something, but
0: it's got to <laughs> go somewhere. I don't know. That's a good question. It rings as true though. When you're watching it, like you're it goes, yeah, that makes sense for, <laughs> I guess at this point it's the sixties, right? Whenever he gets out. So
1: it, it, it is a very good question, but I, I think that the simplest solution is probably the answer here. And that's, and give a fuck is a stream out in the middle of nowhere. The, the local farm boys probably called it shit Creek. And, you know, they knew not to go within one mile of it or, you know, the smell would knock you out. Right. And it must be power. Dude, the, the smell must have been powerful, too, because I live I live kind of out in the boonies. Right. And about two minutes from my house, there's like a farmhouse that it has been they've got all this cattle and shit out there. And sometimes like if you step outside in the morning, you can it's like getting hit in the face with just a a firm handful of cow shit. Like, it is right. thick in the air. Not always, but every once in a while. Maybe they, like, they had P.F. Chang's the night before or something. You know, <laughs> that's why they're, like, really going <laughs> overboard with it. But for human waste and that much of it, yeah. Yeah, that would keep you away, I think.
0: I remember there was some place around North Austin I went to and not to make this a joke but i went to an indian food place up there and i you know we ate and it was great and we step outside and my friends and i and we're just like what the fuck is that smell and it was like half a mile away was the sewage treatment plant and apparently it had shut down yeah. oh, like no. it, it had frozen up or something or something happened and like we found out like like quite literally it was one of those why does this smell bad around me and like it popped up on like the the local news was that like, this sewage treatment plant had to be shut down for for a minute and so it was just the stagnating shit that was there and it hit us it was like oh. a half a mile from where we were and
1: not the yeah, night so. to be eating on the patio perhaps no for sure <laughs> what else did we not get to discuss the first time we talked this uh, about this Eric?
0: Um, well, we're focusing a lot on the, the movie, Steve, I assume you've never, did you read the the novella at any point or did you only have, and I, I
2: would actually love to, but I, I've never read it.
0: It's fairly similar. I mean, I guess the, the different, the big difference is that, you know, Red's an Irishman in uh, in, in the book, uh, and they even make a joke in the, in the movie where, uh, he asks Red, like how he got his name and he's like, it must be because I'm Irish in the book. That's literally why they called him Red because he had that uh, red hair. Oh, But, but on, like on his
2: parole paper is his last name is like
0: Red, Redding, yeah. Redding,
2: yeah. Right.
0: This is a fairly smart adaptation. Like I think the uh the character of the kind of Elvisy, you know, guy that comes in that the warden kills isn't uh, as big of a deal or not in there at all if I remember. I, it's been a, it's been a minute, but um uh I know that they added the scene where the warden kills the the guy that that wasn't in the the novella. Uh. Um and, uh, I mean, it's so much, it's, it's a very, it's kind of a, a case point in, in how you adapt King well, because it's mostly what's there and the things that they add in just all make sense. So like, for instance, there are multiple wardens in the novella over the years mm-hmm. as Andy's there instead of one guy, you know, but it's much smarter to have one main threat that evolves, you know, that goes from just being the hard ass to being the corrupt hard ass to being the murderous you know, guy, the the true villain of the,
2: of the movie, mm-hmm.
0: you know, it's, it's way better to have that be one character.
2: I'm going to say prison seems like a horrible place. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes.
1: Have you ever, have you ever been thrown in jail, Steve, for any amount of time?
2: No, I almost got arrested once in college for buying weed up in Santa Barbara, but that was about it. They just let you go. Yeah. Pocketed well, I didn't, shit I didn't, I didn't have like, the weed. Out of I here. didn't yep. have, I ditched the weed so they couldn't find it. So they couldn't, do anything about it (laughs) were you like running from him or what well i went up to visit some friends me and me and a a buddy went up to santa barbara to visit some friends who were going to college up there and while we were there i bought some weed off a guy Uh, meanwhile my friend was arguing off in this park this was like 11 o'clock at night with this girl and after i got the weed i walked out and the weed I left in my friend's apartment. And so uh, I called out to my friend from across the park. I go, hey, man, what are you doing? And, and he from across the park just yells out, did you get the weed? <laughs> and as soon as he said that, I see two cops on bicycles. And I go, <laughs> I, I go no, he was all out. And I turn around to start running. And they, they yell, stop, stop right there. And so they grab the three of us and sit us down on the curb and I was really high already at this point. And uh <laughs> they're just like, um, so you coming up to our town to buy weed, huh? And I'm just like, <laughs> No, I don't I don't have any weed and, and he's he said something to my friend because my friend had like five fake IDs in his wallet. He's like, All right, tell me uh why you're up here, Mr. Jones. Or is it Clancy or is it Mr. Dubois? Yeah. And, and um, Or Pablo Escobar? Yeah. <laughs> and I made some smart ass joke, and uh, the cop's like, if you want, we can go down to the, the police station to talk about this. And I, and I go, how are you going to get the three of us down there on your bike? And he like <laughs> almost hit me. He was so fucking mad. But I didn't have any of the weed on me, so they couldn't do anything, and they just had to let us go. Oh, my God. Yeah. Good story, though. This was yeah. the 90s, man. I would have gone to jail for that shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's wild to think about now. Yeah, right. totally. Now you can just walk into a store and
1: buy it. Well, not here. Not in Texas. We're still living in the fucking dark ages down here.
2: Uh, we can do it up here in Vancouver. Yeah, I know. I
1: know. Everyone <laughs> I talk to gives where it's legal such a yeah in the ass <laughs> ah,
2: we're still yeah, down it'll, here it'll making happen, our just... own
1: brownies and shit like it's the fucking middle ages is it at <laughs>
2: least uh decriminalized down there
1: my understanding like, i i i am not here to give legal advice but right. my understanding is that at this point like specifically on austin i don't know about other places that you know if you get like pulled over and you've got a bag on you they're probably just gonna ticket you you know and take it away it's been a long time since I've heard of anyone. Like when I was, when I was a teenager, I heard about people going to jail for weed or like having a court date over it and shit. Like it it was more serious back in the day. Yeah. Night, right. you yeah. Know? Uh, now it's just kind of like, what is that weed? Oh, fucking get it out of here.
0: There's still yeah. like uh, some stories. Like I read a couple of years ago about how, how Texas's uh anti-drug laws are still super strict. Like there's that they don't even make sense. Like there was talk of like, people getting busted with, um, uh, with edibles and getting crazy sentences because they don't, right. th- They do it based on wh- the, 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 sentencing is based on the, the amount of the substance Correct. and they don't take into account. Sure. It could only be a teeny tiny amount of pot in a pot brownie, but they're weighing the whole brownie as if it was just whole yeah. pot. Yeah. Right. And so, right. and so people were getting felonies for having, you know, minimal amounts of, of weed on them. And, and, uh, and it's uh, and that was just a couple of years ago. So I don't know. I, I don't ultimately, it's going to go away. There's just too much money. And if one thing Texas loves, is it's it's fucking small businesses and and business money. So I had um,
2: a I had a friend about six or seven years ago had to spend a night in jail in Austin because their tour bus got pulled over on their way into a show and they got checked and they found hash, like a really small amount of hash on the bus, and so. Huh. My friend friend got arrested and had to spend the night <laughs> in jail. God, I haven't even seen hash since like two thousand four. <laughs> you never hear about that shit anymore. Do you? Oh man!
1: So, if you had to guess which Shawshank character was thrown in the in the pokey for weed, who are we going with? <laughs> I'm going Hayworth. Oh, that's I mean, a good I, one. I understand that you know, you know, we know some of these characters' backstories or what their crimes were, or whatever. You know, they're mentioned, but setting that aside for a second, which one seems the most likely? Probably
0: mm. Brooks, because he has glaucoma. Mm. <laughs> uh,
2: I would say uh, fucking Tommy Gilbello's.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure.
2: I mean, I know he, <laughs> oh, he, yeah. he's telling the story about getting arrested, stealing a TV, but he seems like a pot smoker for sure. Yeah, he wasn't taking that TV to watch it. He was no. taking that TV yeah. to sell it and go get a bag. That's what's yeah, going tot- on
0: there. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah, you're right. It's yeah, probably Tommy. Because he's also the nice inmate, right? He's like just the oh shucks, you know, ain't nothing wrong with me. So he's not a violent guy. So he would for sure be in there for, for drugs.
1: Well, this is usually the part in the show where we allow our guests to, uh, you know, kind of tell us about whatever they've got in the works. We covered this a little bit up front, but let's let's talk a, a little bit more about it. Um, yeah, we've
2: got... Uh, the Suicide Squad coming out August sixth, theaters and HBO Max. And I'm up here currently shooting a spinoff series for HBO Max with uh, John Cena and James Gunn called The Peacemaker. And it's uh, John's character and my character from from the Suicide Squad. And we've been here since I've been here since December, and we're, we're just two weeks away from finishing eight episodes which will be out in january
1: it seems as though king shark is going to be like the groot Mm. of this movie uh like the most iconic immediately recognizable character from the movie perhaps because we just often don't often see shark men in in (laughs) movies and certainly not brought to life with with the budget that you know y'all were working with um (laughs) are you prepared to be signing king shark merchandise for the rest of your life
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it was a fun character to play, man. I just got to be goofy and kind of lumber around with like some really amazing (laughs) actors. It was, I felt like I was gotten a, been like a make a wish kid. You know, I got to like hang out with all these awesome people and play and, um, yeah, I'm forever, forever grateful to James for this. And, um, you know, if there's a sequel, I'm sure I'll be back doing the same thing. Did you get to meet Sly at any point? No, not on this. Yeah, they didn't cast his voice and bring him in till, I mean, literally just like November or December of this past year. Like it was right. almost a year after we had finished shooting. And, um, but I, I met him when we were shooting Guardians of the Galaxy two because he had a he had a cameo in that, and it was this it was a scene where we're on this like ice planet. That's like, there's like a whorehouse, house and it's all robot hookers. <laughs> and like, <laughs> I, I met, I met Stallone there. He was very so, nice. What?
1: Yeah. That was going to be my question. What's that guy like? What's the, he what's that great. guy's energy like walking
2: into a room? Totally mellow, man. It's, it's one of those things where it's not like slice coming, slice coming. There's, it's like all of a sudden you just look over and he's right there and you're like, Oh shit. That's wow. That is the crazy thing is, when we were shooting there's a scene where he's him and uh, michael rooker are in a, a argument this is guardians i don't know if it's in the movie but i'm like standing kind of in the background behind rooker and there were a lot of takes where i had to turn around and look the other way because i was smiling so big because stallone starts yelling and you're in your head you're going Holy shit! This dude sounds exactly like Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> it is insane hearing that voice like right there in front of you, and you're like, right. like I couldn't stop smiling. I was like, oh my god, it sounds just like him. It sounds like everyone's impression of him. <laughs> we were shooting, I think it was that scene, and a cell phone like went off in the background, and like that James doesn't want cell phones on set, and like. <laughs> it just got real quiet and James and James is like, whose fucking phone is that? And then it just keeps ringing. And then Stallone goes, Oh shit. That I think that's my phone. And he he has an assistant who is named Frank. It's not his brother, Frank Stallone, but he has an assistant who is really like a, a much older guy. It's, it's very weird. I'm sure he's been working with him like his whole career. But he's like, "Hey, Frank, give my phone. Will you turn it off?" And uh, James couldn't really say anything. <laughs> about it. But Like, yeah, he was super nice, man. He was real. There was there was also a moment that this this made me laugh. I got to tell this. Do it. There's a scene at the end of Guardians where he S- Stallone is like sitting on the bridge of his ship. It's during like Yondu's funeral or something, and. They were shooting that, and I just came in to watch. I, was, I wasn't I was working that day, and so I'm, like, sitting in some chairs, and I've got a headset on, and Stallone is mic'd, and uh, they say cut, and James is like, all right, got to move the cameras. He's like, S- S- Sly, if you want to go sit down, and he's like, and he's sitting in, like, a big, big chair on the bridge. He's like, I'm good right here, and, and so he's sitting in this chair, and they're moving the cameras, and he's just sitting up there by himself, And he's like looking around at the set of this spaceship, which is like a rusty old Ravager ship. And he's like, oh, there's a lot of rust on this ship. He's like, (laughs) you're telling me this far in the future they haven't found a cure for rust? (laughs) And he's just talking to himself. It was fucking amazing. (laughs) A cure for rust.
1: That should be his biography. Oh, that's a great title for something. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for uh, joining us today, Steve, and, and yeah, for your sly stories. Yeah, yeah um, of course. And, you know, we wish you uh, all the luck with the movie, although I don't think you're going to need it. I think that thing is going to go off like a nuclear yeah, gonna,
2: explosion at the box office. I'm going to just let it go and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you got to worry. Yeah. No, I think it'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks
0: so much, man. This is a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, man. Always a pleasure. Uh, anytime.
0: Many thanks to Steve Ag for joining us yet again. I, I'm not sure if the main feed listeners will know, but Steve did join us for a, a commentary on The Running Man over on our Patreon a while That's back great. that uh, spurned some little catchphrases among the uh, King Cast Cotet over at the Patreon, uh, most notably the recurring theme of 80s long butt or long ass. Yes, yes. Which is featured quite prominently turn. in The Running Man. <laughs> I
1: should have put it on the poster.
0: Yeah, no, we uh, we always love to have Steve on the show. We're very excited to see uh, what his, you know, performance capture work on King Shark looks like in Suicide Squad. And, uh, you know, see his beautiful face. And, you know, since he's playing, he gets to actually play a character in the movie as well. And he's in The Peacemaker as well. Double the so. AG
1: for your money, folks. I mean, what more could you want out of a, out of a film going experience?
0: Double the AG, double the box office. That's, that's the rule. Yeah,
1: that's the rule. Yeah. I hear that.
0: So next week we are continuing our suicide squad theme and bringing in yet another cast member to talk about a Stephen King property. And we are talking about graveyard shift. Uh, So graveyard shift will be our topic next week. We of course are going to keep the guest a secret, Uh, But just know that it is a member of the Suicide Squad. And uh, I'm sure people who have picked through the cast and kind of know. Y'all know who it is. They know who it is. They figured out. It it is definitely one of the more anticipated characters in the uh, in the movie. Getting Graveyard Shift, a title we have not talked
1: about before. And uh, I had not seen until very recently. And I fucking love Graveyard Shift.
0: Yeah, no, this is one that should have been on regular rotation for me because it was kind of right? a, a cable staple for a lot of people. But for whatever reason, I just missed the window. Maybe it was on Cinemax or something that I didn't have. It was a Showtime mm. runner instead of an HBO. I don't know. It does um, seem like yeah, a no, this Cinemax is one. I one. Came late. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's a very Cinemax title. It's got some main accents, some sketchy main accents. It's got uh, giant rat bats. It's uh, sweaty, sweaty people. Everywhere. Lots of sweaty people. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's a really fun episode and, uh, uh, and our guest pairs very well with it. Yes, that is true.
1: And then this Friday on the KingCast Patreon, uh, we are essentially delivering an ode to the low men. These are characters that any Stephen King fan will be familiar with from hearts in Atlantis or, Ur, if you've ever read Ur, or from Buick eight, there's a, there's a low man in there. We love these dark guys. towers. These is some of my favorite little guys in the whole Stephen King canon, you know, up there with the little bald doctors from Insomnia. (laughs) Uh, They're just so mischievous. They're dressed like pimps. They're they're running around, getting into hijinks. And so we wanted to take a moment to shed a spotlight on these iconic creations. And uh, to do that. Well, actually, it was the guest's idea on this bonus episode. A comedian by the name of Ian Abramson. You can uh, look him up on Twitter. Uh, A bit of a strange gentleman, uh, which definitely comes through in his show card, which you'll be seeing soon. And, you know, he loves these little guys, too. So it's us talking for an hour about uh, the Crimson King's most ineffective and frequently clownish minions. I
0: challenge anybody else to find a great episode on the long... Of course, I'm going to say that, and then the the King Slingers or whatever are going to have like 20... (laughs) 20 episodes. 20 low-men episodes? Right? Yeah. but uh, I'd like
1: to see Mr. Jason Bateman and Mr. Uh, Will Arnett, who beat us on EW's top five podcast of the year list last year. Uh, I'd like to see them do an hour on the low-men. I don't think so.
0: But we got them beat for sure on, on that side. Uh, but yeah, no, that, that'll be this Friday on our Patreon. You can sign up for that at patreon.com slash the KingCast. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, next week we'll see you guys for Graveyard Shift. Adios, everyone. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director, and editing is done by yours truly. I'm going to actually ask A.G. to do our complete intro in full Vincent Price voice. Um, yes,
2: no. Eric, I'll do it for you. <laughs> From the twisted mind of Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs>